Amen. Our uh, theme verse really for this year is the, is the text for the message this morning. So if you would go ahead and turn to Acts chapter number 26. Acts chapter number 26 this morning. Uh, and so I'm going to read that as we get ready for the message. But if you want to go ahead and find your place there, I do want to take just a moment this morning. And uh, as the Lord directed this, this year through prayer and, and just seeking what God would have for us, uh, as we try to get things kind of back more into a normal rhythms and uh, reestablish ministries that have had to kind of shut down because of COVID and those things over the last couple of years, uh, we're just really praying this year that the Lord will help us to get things back up and running and get back to normal as much as possible as we continue to take the message of the gospel out. Um, and so hence the theme, reach out. Uh, but reach out is, is more than just uh, just outreach. And that's the first thing that comes to mind when we think about reaching out is outreach. And so um, you know, what I found over the years, and uh, this isn't any uh, real earth shattering revelation, but if I am driving down Interstate 10 and I've got an eighth of a tank of gas and no gas can, and I see someone who's uh, pulled over on the side of the road and I pull over and I'm reaching out to them and I'm, I'm outreaching in a manner of speaking and find out that they have no gas. I've, I've reached out to them, but I don't have anything to offer them. And so often as Christians, we're willing to say, hey, here's an opportunity. I want to reach out. But when people look at our lives, the realization is, is that, hey, uh, you're here and I appreciate the gesture, but I really don't, uh, I really don't sense or see anything that you have to offer me that I don't already have. Uh, and the essence of the Christian life is that we have the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ, if he's allowed to live through us and we're yielded to him and he's allowed to give us a victorious life, uh, that's all every individual's decision and control. Uh, then when I give him that freedom, then he empowers me and he and works out of me to reach out to others. And so when we talk about reaching out this morning, and we're going to begin this with the message this morning is that we have to start with reaching out to God for personal revival. Uh, you know, we'll schedule revival meetings on the church calendar. We'll sometimes go other places and support meetings where we're praying for revival to come. But in essence, the only thing that we can do is say, hey, here's some dates where we're going to have some special meetings and we're going to open our hearts to the Lord and we're going to ask God as the word of God is given to give us a reviving. Revival is not something that I can summon from God, uh, though I can seek it from God. Revival comes from him. And it does not come uh, initially to a large body or an awakening in a nation. It begins with an individual. Uh, it begins with every individual heart and every individual uh, life. And generally, historically speaking, it's begun in prayer meetings. Uh, and so when we talk about reaching out to God for personal revival, it is the realization that every one of us have the opportunity and the potential to be revived by God and for God to use that reviving in our heart to inspire another to seek God in such a way that revival would come to them. And then it just builds and then it affects a church and then it, and it would come to an individual. Then it probably would come to a particular Sunday school class. Uh, then it would probably come to a church, then churches that they're affiliated with and turns into a, a, a statewide or a regional movement. And then you have movements throughout history such as the Great Awakening that, that came about that way. Uh, where God just began in the heart of an individual uh, and it spread. So we want to start this morning by looking at reaching out to God 
for personal revival. Once my life is revived, once I experience that relationship with God of revival, then next week we're going to look at the fact that once I'm revived, then it's time for God to seek God's face for ministry renewal. We can renew ministries as a church, but if we're not revived in our heart, it's going to be a lot of action and a lot of motion without much meaning or any power from God. Uh, I'm, I'm really kind of getting too old to waste a lot of time expending a lot of energy to see what we can accomplish in our own flesh as opposed to seeking the face of God and experiencing what God can, can accomplish whenever he's moving and doing the work. Jesus said, I will build my church. Nowhere is man commanded to go out and build a church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he builds it in every culture. He builds it in every climate. He builds it in every political uh, circumstance and situation. Listen, the churches behind the old iron curtain thrived. They were secret, they were underground, but they were thriving. There is no limitation that man can put on Jesus' ability to build the church if man will allow God to work in their heart and to revive them and to renew them. We want to see ministry develop. We want to see ministries restored, but only if it's the renewal of God bringing them about and working in and through them. We don't want to be busy just doing meaningless activity that looks religious or looks helpful, but it's powerless. Powerless religion and powerless churches have led our country to the state that it's in today. Uh, and so <clears throat> as we move forward, what we're praying for uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to preach about next week is to, to turn to God and seek him for ministry renewal. Then the following week, as we kind of set the tone for the year, we want to begin reaching out to others in personal relationship. What you'll find is that, that God working is all about relationship. It's not about at all about religion. Do we do things that the world would look at and say these are religious activities? Certainly we do. We're a church. We're going to worship God. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to pray. We're going to take the gospel out into our community. We're going to uh, do things that man terms religious, but we want to understand that without a relationship with Christ and without a relationship with one another, it's going to be an effort in futility. Uh, it's about building relationships. And we have been given the church by God to build and foster relationships. We need to be building relationships with one another. Why? Because we're to exhort one another. You can't exhort someone that you have no relationship with. Uh, we can't help and we can't be a blessing to and we can't pray for properly one another if there's no relationship. The church uh, and, and God working in our lives is about uh, reaching out to others in personal to develop personal relationships. Relationships. And then uh, we're going to close out the month looking at reaching out to the lost with a personal redeemer. Uh, once we've been revived and once we've been renewed and once we are, uh, we're nurturing and growing together as a church, then we can reach out and we can take a gospel message that you'll see in the message this morning will be powerful. The single most powerful tool that you have, aside from the moving of the Spirit of God and His Word, uh, but from our standpoint, is a testimony that's genuine and real. Uh, it's not, I don't, we don't go out and tell the world about what God's done for someone else. We want to go out and tell the world what Jesus has done for us. And so uh, as we look at that this morning, uh, if you would, to, again, in your Bibles in Acts chapter 26, uh, and beginning in verse number 13, the Apostle Paul is on defense for his life. He stands before Agrippa. <coughs> I'm not going to give a lot of uh, the background information this morning about how he got there, I preached through that fairly recently as we worked our way through the book of Acts on 
uh, for over the last few years. Uh, but, but Paul is here and he's on trial. And Agrippa comes to him and says, Paul, uh, tell me. Uh, and he says, I'm, I'm happy to give an account to you because I know that you understand where I'm coming from. In essence, is what he's saying. And then in verse number 13, at midday, O king, he, and this is what Paul's doing. He says, this is what the Jews have accused me of. Uh, they've accused me of sedition. They've accused me of sacrilege. They've, uh, they've accused me of these things. Uh, and he said, but, uh, and he, so he's gone all through that. He's already in his speech to Agrippa made all of that. Now he's not going to waste the opportunity to reach out to Agrippa and present to him one more time the gospel. Uh, and he does so by way of his own testimony. And notice in verse 13, and at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things which in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Notice what he sends him to do. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And as we begin this morning, I want to begin with reaching out to God for personal revival. Let's pray. Fathers, we begin this morning. Again, we thank you for the time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul and his testimony. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and for your living through us, if we'll allow you to. And Lord, I pray that you'd help every individual here this morning to realize that we are in need of, of a reviving. Uh, Lord, that it's not about our neighbor, our fellow member on a pew, our person and others in our section this morning, uh, or folks that are unable to be here that need reviving. Lord, it's me who needs reviving. Lord, may we have that spirit, may we have that attitude, may we seek your face and seek and beg you, plead with you to give us a reviving in our hearts and our souls. Lord, some need to be revived to life. They need to be brought to life. They need to be birthed into the family of God, while others uh, need to be restored and need to be uh, awakened and need to be uh, reacquainted and recommitted to their relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you do it in each heart this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we look here, and Paul is making this defense before Agrippa, and as he makes this defense and he gives his testimony of the gospel, he's, he is busy serving God in his mind. What Paul has been doing at the point that he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus is religious. It is, it is something he's committed to. He is not doing what he's doing. He's cruel, but he's not doing it for the sake of cruelty. He's doing it because he truly believes that he's doing a service to God. That's the culture and the climate in which he's been brought up. That's what he's been taught. That's what's been ingrained into his spirit and his soul 
through, through the teaching of, uh, of the Pharisees as he was uh, brought up a young man. And so now as he stands before Agrippa and he gives the message, uh, he's telling him, this is what I was doing. I was leaving Jerusalem with orders from the high priest to go out uh, and to persecute the church, to destroy Christianity. I was on a mission to destroy this message of Messiah coming, of Jesus coming, of him dying for us, of his resurrection. He's rejecting that Jesus is Messiah. He's aware of him. He knows of him. His activity is religious. His activity is sincere. His activity is based upon his true beliefs. He fully desires to serve God. He fully believes he's in service to God, but he's destroying the very work of God. It's amazing how many people today would look at uh, the, the heretics out there and churches that uh, are going other ways and adopting new doctrine and forsaking the truths of Scripture and uh, adopting what's culturally uh, acceptable as, uh, as doctrine within the church. And they, they really believe in their heart. They're convinced and blinded by Satan to think that they're doing God a service when they're actually tearing down the very things that God came to establish. Uh, and so uh, there, Paul is, is of that mind. He is of that, of that, in that sincerity. And so he leaves Jerusalem, headed for Damascus to continue his reign of terror. But he meets Jesus on the way. And it's amazing what happens in somebody's life when they meet Jesus along the way. And so when we consider this morning uh, Paul's trip on the Damascus Road, uh, and you see it played out here in his description. I want you to notice again in verse 18 that, that God sent him, that Jesus sent him to open their eyes. It was Paul's responsibility to open their eyes. Now, sometimes we can get so spiritually minded and, uh, and thinking that, hey, we can do nothing, that Jesus has to open their eyes. Yeah, that's true. Jesus as a factor. Jesus is the supernatural one that's working behind the scenes. But it's the Apostle Paul who was sent to open their eyes. Listen, we have a vital role to play. And it's not anything that we do and in our own power that makes a difference. But if we don't do what God sent us to do, then God's work and God's ability to reach out to people is greatly hindered. Uh, sometimes we have the mindset that I can't make a difference so I'm not going to put forth the effort or I can't make a difference or we get on a spiritual high horse and think uh, that, that, we're so, uh, that we're so sanctified in our biblical understanding that we get the idea of well you know, God has to do it. No man can do anything. Listen, Paul was sent to open their eyes. It was Paul's job to open their eyes. It was Paul's job to turn them from darkness to light. Now listen, Jesus had to change the heart but it was the preaching and the power and the testimony of Paul that turned them and that encouraged them and that inspired them to seek God to be turned from darkness to light. He says, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now contrast this, Paul is laying this out to his experience on the Damascus road. Paul left Jerusalem in spiritual blindness. He left with a, a religious man who thought he was serving God, who knew the word of God, by the way, at better than most of his day, uh, if not better than anybody of his day. And so he knew what the Bible said. He knew what the, the word of God and what the prophets had preached, but he was spiritually blind. He could not see the truth. He could not see uh, reality. Uh, and so he left Jerusalem in spiritual blindness. Oh, but he came and arrived in Damascus with spiritual sight. 
When Jesus came to him and when Jesus shined that light upon him, when Jesus came and said, hey, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? There was something that came alive and that awakened in his heart. And though he left that place and arrived with scales on his eyes, he saw clearly spiritually for the very first time on the Damascus Road. He left Damascus or Jerusalem in blindness, but he arrived in Damascus with spiritual sight. He left or Jerusalem in darkness and death. He left a child of hell. He left on his journey under the authority of the God of this world, but he arrived not in death, but in light and in life. When the light came on, and when he trusted Christ that day as a Savior, and when he received forgiveness of his sin, he was a new man. He went out as Saul, and he arrived as Paul. And so he left in darkness. He left under Satan's authority. But when he trusted Jesus Christ as a Savior, he arrived in Damascus under God's authority. He left a religious man in his sin, and he arrived a righteous man in relationship with Christ, forgiven from his sin. He left destitute. He arrived with an inheritance in heaven. He left uh, on, on his way set apart uh, to work against God, but he arrived in Damascus set apart to do the work and the will of God. He left enslaved by the power and the bondage of his sin and religion in pride and he arrived uh, set apart to do the work of God freely serving the Savior in faith and love in humility. It's been said by Vance Hadner years ago that so many of us are not big enough to become little enough to be used of God. And sometimes we just can't get out of our way. We can't get off our own spiritual high horse long enough to become little enough to humble ourselves before God so that God can use us. May I say this morning that God wants to use you? If you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, He is not content for you to come to church on Sunday morning uh, and then do nothing throughout the week. He's not content for you to just uh, get by uh, in your Christian life. He has great things in store for you. He has great plans for you. He he wants to use you to impact the lives of family members and friends and co-workers and neighbors. He wants to be working in your life. And what we have in Paul is an example of a life that's transformed and that's committed to Christ. It's a life of one who demonstrates for us what God can do with the heart and the life of someone who walks within Christ's power and love. It's someone who's willing to acknowledge, hey, I'm in need of a Savior, I'm a sinner, I'm in need of transformation. And as a Christian to look and say, I'm not where I should be in my spiritual life. I'm not walking as close to God as I once did. I'm not growing like I should. I'm not as hungry as I ought to be. There ought to be a starvation mentality in the hearts of Christians for the things of God, for the person of God, for the Word of God. How long has it been, Christian, this morning since you hungered for God? Since you thirsted for his word, since you longed to hear from heaven, since you longed for the spirit of God to prick your heart and bring conviction of sin in your life so that you can be molded into his image. Listen, Jesus builds his church. Jesus changes lives, but he uses men to do the work. He uses men to communicate the message. That's what God has set forth for us to do. As we look this morning, Jesus is the transformer. But he gave us the Great Commission. <clears throat> and I'm going to give you a lot of scripture this morning. Uh, we're going to look at much of it. Some of it I'll reference. Some of it we'll turn to. 
and so if you can't turn quickly, you might want to uh, jot references down so that you can go back to that. Uh, but I, I am in no way saying this morning that we have it in our own ability and power to change a single life. But I am saying that God's not likely to change many lives without us doing what he's commissioned us to do. And when we do that and God works in us, then great things can happen. Listen, it's Jesus that transforms and gives the power, but he gave the great commission to the church. He told us to go out and to take it to the lost world. And it doesn't mean to just carry the message. It means to go as God's ambassador, carrying it in a way that it's credible. And if I don't package it in my life with incredibility, then no one's going to hear, even though it's still the truth. In Matthew chapter number 28, the Great Commission, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Listen, we have been commanded to go out, but we also have been put in trust with the gospel in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4. The Apostle Paul writes, but we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Listen, it is our responsibility to go, not just collectively as a church body, but being reminded that every individual believer as a new creature in creation in Christ is also an ambassador uh, of Christ. He says in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is the new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But he also says in verse 20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are to be reconciled to God. We are to compel others to be reconciled to God. Those that are lost to come and to be saved. And those that are saved and not working for God, not living for God, not serving for God, not in a constructive relationship with God, to be revived and to come back into God's presence and to have Him working in their heart uh, and in their life. Again, in verses 17 and 18 uh, this morning of our text, we look and we see uh, as the Apostle Paul is, uh, is, is sent out uh, that he is telling Agrippa as he stands before him that this is not something that I chose. I thought I was serving God. But when Jesus opened my eyes and he sent me uh, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. May I suggest this morning that we cannot proclaim that message until we're living that message and it be received with effect. We must live it. It's not enough to just preach it. And so Paul is sent to open, to turn, that they might receive the word of God. And we, like Paul, uh, can serve religion or we can reach out to God and we can serve the Savior. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. We need to turn to Christ, reaching out to him for personal revival. Now, what does the word revive mean? And I'm just going to give you a three-part uh, definition that's very simple. Uh, I just kind of streamlined it uh, from the old dictionary. And it means to return to life. 
And so, pastor, how does that affect the lost person? Well, we'll get there here in just a moment. Uh, but it means to return to life. The lost man once uh, in the Garden of Eden had life. But when we sinned, that life was terminated in our spirit. And when a man trusts Jesus Christ as a Savior, that, that, that spirit is made alive again within him. That is a reviving of such. It, it's a regeneration. It's the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit uh, of God. So it means to return to life. When we talk about where we're reviving, we're talking about to recover new life or vigor. In other words, someone may be alive, but they're down and they're depressed or they're discouraged, or they're defeated, or they're swallowed up in pride. They're laying on a spiritual deathbed, unable to function, unable to do anything, and they, they've no energy, and then God resurges them and restores energy, and restores life, and restores passion, and restores uh, what's necessary to be successful uh, in life. Thirdly, it is to recover from a state of neglect. By the way, generally speaking, when we come to a place in our life where we need revival, it is the result of spiritual neglect. It is the result of neglecting the word of God in our heart. It is the result of neglecting our prayer life. It is the result of, of neglecting our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we reject and we neglect that relationship, it's only a matter of time until there's going to need to be a time of restoration. So we look at our text this morning, our outline this morning, I would say first of all that revival comes first to the individual. Revival comes to the individual in our text in Acts chapter 26 and verse 14. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me. Jesus reached out to Paul. Jesus spoke to the individual heart. Now listen, I, I fully believe and understand that if every single person there wanted salvation in Christ, that Jesus wanted them to be saved and wanted to speak to their heart as well. But in this moment, in this encounter, he speaks to Saul. He came to the individual. We don't get saved in droves. We can't get saved in mass. I can't, uh, as a father and a husband, uh, can't uh, say, hey, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior. That means that my wife and my children automatically have gotten him too. No, it's an individual decision. No one can be saved for you. No one can trust Jesus as their Savior for you. No one can receive forgiveness of sins for you. No one can be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to serve him for you. It's something that every individual must experience. And we looked this morning that a reviving comes to the individual. Every decision is personal. It's not corporate. We can set corporately an agenda for the church, but if the individual members don't embrace it, it's going nowhere. It's individual relationship with Christ. Two parts about this. Obviously this morning revival begins with salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm uh, just going to tell you bluntly and plainly that if you've never realized I'm a sinner and you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you leave this life, you will wake up in hell. That's not for debate. I know that that's not culturally acceptable. It's not politically correct. Not a lot of places, even in churches, don't want to preach that message. Uh, you see preachers on TV ask that question, is Jesus the only way? And they'll, they'll hem and they'll haul and they'll duck and they'll dodge, not wanting to answer the question uh, because they know it's not going to go over well in the, in the media. But I'm just going to tell you this morning, Jesus is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but my me. There 
There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God uh, from heaven. And without that relationship, we will spend an eternity in hell. And when we look at the necessity of trusting Christ as our Savior, Nicodemus came to him in John chapter 3, and he said to him very bluntly, what must I do to be saved? Uh, and so Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Listen, if there is not a reviving of the spirit that died in the garden in your heart, then there will be no life eternal for you. It's that simple. You can't do it on your own. You can't be good enough to earn it. You can't turn over a new leaf. You can't go to church enough times. Uh, you can't do anything that's going to compel God to allow you to come into his presence in heaven for eternity. Uh, it's not about you. It's about what he's done. It's not about me. It's about what Jesus did for me. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing uh, of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It is the regeneration of that dead spirit within you when it's revived that springs us forth to life eternal. First Peter uh, said in chapter 1 of his epistle in verse number 23, uh, he said, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth, forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is going nowhere. The Word of God is going nowhere. It is eternal. He is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. The message has not changed and the message will not change. The truth is the truth and the world can spin the truth and claim that this person is truth for them and for this person that's truth for them. But when we stand before God, the only truth that matters is the truth of God. Amen. It's the Word of God. That proclaims him. And I'm just saying this morning that revival comes to every individual beginning at the moment of salvation. Without salvation in Christ Jesus, I am doomed and I am lost for eternity. But many Christians slip away from God. They're no longer, uh, they're no longer empowered by him, but they certainly still are saved by him. It's not, again, what we do. It's what he's done. And we render our lives ineffective because we don't allow God and we don't allow the Lord Jesus Christ to work passionately and fervently through us. In John chapter 17, he talks about revival being the result of sanctification. Paul is sanctified here. He's set apart by God for a task. And by the way, my friend, whenever you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he began the work of sanctification in your heart, of setting you apart from this world unto himself to do his will, to do his work, to serve him, to worship him, to be empowered by him. And he does the same and he gives us that example in John chapter 17 beginning in verse 10 when he says, All mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. 
And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. And those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through truth, for thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for they, their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me. I have given them that they may be one even as we are one I in them and thou in me that they may be, be may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That's the message of Christ. The message of Christ coming, speaking of his disciples, of those that he would send, of those of us who have trusted him and are willing to be his disciple, that are willing to follow him, that are willing to serve him. He says, listen, I want to set you apart for God's work. I want you to set you apart to make a difference. Make a difference in your home. Make a difference in your family. Make a difference in your workplace. Make a difference in your grocery store. Make a difference in the restaurants that you frequent. Make a difference a difference in your place of employment everywhere that you go let the light of Christ shine that God might be revealed to those that are around and that they might be turned from darkness unto light and from the power of sin unto salvation that's the message that Paul is preaching to Agrippa in his own testimony and it's the commission that we've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ listen revival begins at salvation and revival begins in the life of a Christian at sanctification will we allow God to set us apart for his work. Revival comes to the individual. Secondly, this morning I would say that revival requires turning. I cannot continue in my life business as usual and not be turned from my sin, not be turned from my complacency, not be turned from my arrogance, not be turned from my pride, not be turned from my own uh, seeking out and performing of my own will. I must be turned to God to do his will. Revival requires a turning. I would say, first of all, that a revived heart will turn to God. A heart that God is working in, that God, uh, that is, uh, God is reviving, that God uh, is seeking to uh, restore will uh, turn to him. If you would uh, jot down 1 Chronicles chapter number 28 uh, and verse number 9 as we uh, look here. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and 9, it says, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts 
If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Listen, if I want revival, I must seek the Lord. If I want God speaking in my heart, I must long for him. I must long for him to turn me uh, to himself, to turn my old sinful, corrupt, vile heart away from my sin and away from my own desires and turn to him. In Psalm 9, in verse number 10, it says, And they that know my name, uh, thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. If you want Jesus to be a part of your life, if you want God uh, to empower your life, to meet your needs, to grow you in his grace, then seek him. Seek the Lord uh, and seek his truth. Seek his word. In Psalm 105, in verse number 4, the Bible says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Am I this morning seeking the Lord? Can I say this morning that I've gone to God as a Christian and sought his reviving in my heart? That I've sought him to turn me away from this world to him? That I've sought for him to do something miraculous in my life to change me and to mold me and to make me into the image that he would have me to be? In Isaiah chapter number 55 and verse number 6 he says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Listen, there are going to be times when God comes in and speaks to you. There are going to be services where there's conviction from the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a time in your private time of Bible study at home when the Holy Spirit is going to arrest your soul and your attention and try to draw you hard to Christ and realizing that I've got to turn from some things in my life. If I'm going to come to the presence of God, don't take those moments for granted. He says, seek me while I may be found, indicating that there may be a time when I want, I want him, but he's not speaking to me at the moment. He's not, he's not responding at the moment because I have neglected him and I have shunned him when he did speak to me. Listen, when God speaks, don't take for granted that if he speaks to you this morning, that if you show back up next Sunday, he's going to speak to you in the same way. When the spirit of God speaks to your heart, you better act. God moves in his own time, in his own way. God comes to those that are seeking him, yes, but he comes on his terms, not ours. And a revived heart must be turned to God. A changed heart will equal new values. If God has revived my heart, if God has changed my heart, then my priorities will be different. My values will be different. My, uh, my worldview uh, will be changed as I'm drawn close to him. I would say secondly about revival requiring turning that a revived life will be turned to God's will. Where we are desirous to fulfill the will of God for our lives more so than we are to fulfill our own ambitions. Do I know the will of God for me? Am I willing to sacrifice to do it? Will I walk in his grace and in his power uh, to make it happen? A revived life must be turned to the will of God. Uh, and Lamentations uh, chapter number 3. <coughs> Lamentations chapter number 3. Uh, and then uh, in verse number 40. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 40, the word of God says this. Let us search and try our ways and turn again unto the Lord. Am I willing this morning to search my heart? Am I willing to search my life? Am I willing to allow God to search me? Am I willing to allow God to turn my heart from self to the Savior? from sin unto sanctification. 
What am I willing to allow God to do in my life? In Lamentations chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Bring me back to that sweet fellowship that I had with you. Bring me back to that time of conviction that I had with you. Bring me back to that time when I was willing to forsake all uh, to come to you. God, would you work in my heart? Would you work in my life? Listen, a revived, a revival requires turning. I cannot say that I'm revived by the Spirit of God if nothing in my life changes. If my, if my thoughts and my desires of my heart and the actions of my day and how I go about my business, if nothing's changed, my heart is not revived. Revival requires turning. And then thirdly and lastly this morning, I'd say that revival requires expression. What is Paul doing? He is expressing what God has done for him. He cannot keep it quiet. He cannot not tell of the great things that God has done for him. He cannot keep it a secret. He cannot keep it to himself. It is the single most powerful element of his experience that he has to convert others to Christ. It's the working of Christ. It's the word of God. And then it's the testimony of what God's done in an individual life. Listen, my friend, the greatest tool that you have outside of the word of God and the spirit of God working within you is sharing with others, not what Jesus did for your neighbor, but what Jesus has done for you. So often we can't do that because we haven't let Jesus do much for us. We haven't let Jesus work much in our heart. But revival requires expression. Amos chapter 3 and verse number 8. The Old Testament prophet said, The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath prophesied. Who can but prophesy? Who can not tell what God has done? Who can refuse to tell how God has worked in their heart and in their life? And I would just say this morning that revival requires expression in the gospel in Matthew chapter number 10 and verse uh, number 27. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 27, uh, he put it, Matthew wrote it this way. He said, when I tell you in the darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye on the housetops. Am I willing to go to the housetop? Am I willing to go to the highways and the hedges? Am I willing to go to my neighbors? Am I willing to go to my coworkers and share with them what great things God has done for me? Listen, I cannot truly be revived and not express what God has done for me. Will I express worship to Him? Will I express praise to Him? Will I express to others what God has done in me and for me and through me? It's an expression of two primary things. First of all, it's an expression of God's love. What is Paul communicating here to Agrippa? He's saying, Agrippa, I know that, uh, that it looks like I'm in a bad way, but let me tell you how much Jesus loved me. Let me tell you how Jesus loved me when I was on my way to destroy him. When I was on my way to kill those that he loved, to destroy families that he loved. He, he could have come and destroyed me, but he did not come to destroy me. He came in love to redeem me. He came to seek me out. He came to meet me in the way. He came and found me where I was. And he shone his light down around me. And he sought me out. And he lifted me up. And he put my foot upon the rock. And he set me on a new course. And my life changed. And my values changed and my outlook changed and I no longer serve religion but a savior it was no longer about an institution but about a, a relationship with my individual God and my savior the Lord Jesus Christ that is an expression of God's love 
And I would say, secondly, it's an expression of God's power. No one else had the power to change Saul's heart. No one else had the power to change, to, to change Saul's life. No one else had the power to transform fundamentally everything about him, every instinct that he had. No one else had the power to save our sins, our sin-cursed souls from hell. And no other person, no other God, no other Savior has the ability to set our foot uh, on the path of righteousness and godliness to fulfill the work and the will of God. If we would reach out to God for revival and we would respond to him when he speaks to our heart, he comes to us uh, giving an expression of God's love and expressing his power and the same power by which he saved you is the same power by which he can empower you to live a victorious life, to conquer the sin that so easily besets you, to make a difference in the world around you, to have a life and live a life that's meaningful for God that will cause me to stand before God and say, hey, when you saved me, you gave me an inheritance and I'm a joint heir with Christ and I'm grateful for this little inheritance that I have, but to go to heaven with a vast and a great enormous inheritance of reward from God because he was allowed to work in our hearts and lives. God would have us come to heaven with great fanfare, victorious, walking in his grace and in his love. And I'm just saying this morning that as we reach out to God that we must begin by reaching out for a spirit of revival within our own individual hearts. How long has it been since we've been revived? How long has it been since we've felt the spirit of God speaking to our heart? How long has it been since we've been convicted about our sin? How long has it been since we've been hungry for righteousness? How long has it been since we've hungered for the word of God? How long has it been since we've longed to make a difference in someone's life for the cause of Christ? Revival. As we reach out, certainly we will do some outreach. And certainly we'll reach out to the lost. But if I don't have anything to give them, what, what good is the effort of reaching out? If I come to see you some point and you've no food and I have none to give, I reached out, I cared, I expressed compassion, but I couldn't do anything to solve the problem. When we reach out to God for revival, we go to the one that has the power to solve the problem. There's not anything that he lacks. There's not anything that we need that he can't give. I would say this morning as we conclude that revival must be desired. If you don't, if you don't desire revival in your heart this morning, you won't find it. If you don't desire to be saved, you'll likely not be convicted or not give in to that conviction. Revival must be desired. It must be sought after. As God sought after Soul, and as God sought after you, and as God continues to seek after the hearts of men, and as God continues to seek after the Christians to turn them from their sin and back to himself, and to have our values fastened upon him, as God is working, we must sought, seek after him. Jonathan Edwards said this, Our people do not need so much to have their heads stirred as to have their hearts touched. Would you this morning let God touch your heart? Would you let the Spirit of God touch your heart? Would you let the Word of God touch your heart? Because when God touches the heart, and we repent of our sin, God can begin to do great things in our life.